The 20th century in Canada was an extremely tumultuous time period. It affected lots of various groups of people, not in the best ways. Today, we're going to be talking about oppression to two of these specific groups, those being Chinese Canadians and women in Canada. Uh, so women in the 20th century in particular met a lot of resistance in uh, all sorts of things, right? as they sort of tried to move away from their traditional gender roles into being able to choose what they wanted to do, being able to work in the same jobs that men were able to. And a big step in this was uh, gaining the right to vote in 1918, right? So this was a this was a really big improvement in sort of uh, overcoming the oppression that they uh, that women originally faced before, and they this this although it was a big step, it wasn't everything that they were fighting for, right? They weren't just fighting for uh, political justice; they were fighting for improvements in healthcare and education and employment, right? So gaining the vote meant so much more than just fighting against. Uh, gender norms and men also fighting against racial inequalities as indigenous and Asian women in particular during this time met a lot of resistance. Yeah, I mean, oppression honestly was going on for like a long time, even as early as like 1885 with like the Chinese head tax and all that. Um, you know, Chinese Canadians were dealing with a lot of stuff as well. And then even going into the 20th century, the head tax was um you know gotten rid of but then it just made way for the chinese immigration act in 1923 which is like way worse you know so that was kind of bad they were kind of just limiting immigration all together for a whole i say like 20-ish years so in total maybe 15 chinese immigrants were able to actually get into canada in those like 20 years so that's pretty bad um that sounds really interesting. I think the fact that like they were intentionally sort of trying to deny uh, Chinese immigrants entry into Canada. Um, I know, for example, like women in the First World War, they had like a lot of different roles in like not only combat but also sort of filling uh, manufacturing and agricultural positions on the home front. Did was there anything like that with Chinese Canadians or no? Uh, yeah, especially in the maybe nineteenth ish century with like the railways and stuff a lot of chinese canadians were recruited to just work for cheap labor but then once that was done that was kind of why they started to limit immigration it just kind of ended up being like oh you've got your work done so you can leave now so it was the same situation then with like the end of world war one when women were sort of forced back into traditional roles because the men were coming back it was just the sort of displacement because their use had essentially expired exactly exactly and I know, for example, like in the Great Depression as well, uh, a lot of women were, again, forced back into the work market just because they they had a place there again, like they could be useful there again because uh, of all the men being laid off, right? So it drove women to find work. And I think it led to like a 22% decline in marriage as well. So they were a lot less volatile. And during that time, I'm pretty sure like 90% of women's jobs could be cataloged into like 10 basic categories-ish was like nursing, teaching, civil service, and all that. And I know they still met different obstacles, like they were paid a lot less, but um, in general, it, it seemed sort of like during times of need, they were allowed into the workforce and military, but uh, when the men sort of were able to take over again, they were sort of forced out. Was there anything like that with uh, Chinese Canadians, like maybe say during World War Two? Yeah, that was a really big thing, actually. Just the actual jobs that they could have were kind of limited they basically just worked in like really really low paying jobs they were like you know 
regarded as like second class citizens. So they kind of just went in like restaurants and things like that. And then they were only really allowed, even in military service, um, only really when they were needed because of their race. Like for example, in um, Japan in like 1941, they were recruited and they were like, oh, all of a sudden being Chinese was a good thing, right? Cause they could be, you know, espionage um, allies and assets and all that. But then once that was over again, they were just basically discarded. I think it's, like, a really interesting thing as well with how, like, a lot of the times they're, like, the oppressed groups or could be, they weren't used, like, their fullest potential, I would say. Uh, so, like, for example, in World War Two, I know, like, the Soviet Union mobilized a lot of women, uh, like, over 800,000, I think, enlisted in the Red Army, and half of those were serving in frontline units. And uh, in, Brit in Britain as well, uh, a lot of women were working anti-aircraft uh, positions during the bombing raids over London, so... They they did these jobs really well, and I think it's just sort of interesting how they weren't recognized or acknowledged for their efforts, and the fact that they did these jobs better than maybe uh, traditional white men could have. Right, exactly. Same with like military, for example, in World War Two, a lot of Chinese people were a lot uh, had like a lot of hope and passion for you know defending the country and proving their loyalty for you know various different reasons. But most of the time, they weren't even allowed to enlist just because of their race. And it was kind of, I think, obviously very unfair, but it was kind of just like a fault on Canada's part because they could have had such a strong um, thing going there, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think uh, especially after the Second World War and the years progressing into the Cold War uh, with like the different waves of feminism, and this was during a time, I think, where uh, people really started to fight back against oppression. And I know uh, the Chinese Immigration Act was repealed as well, right? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. After World War II, there was a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people were actually realizing what was happening and what was wrong. So obviously, a lot of protests happened. Um, the Chinese Immigration Act was obviously repealed in 1947, which was um, a really, really big change and a really good step forward for the Chinese-Canadian community. Um, there was a lot of pressure, both from the media, from various groups, from like unions, even from the UN, um, obviously, like the Charter of Human Rights and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, it really just pushed Canada to be a better country overall. And then it also gave Canadian Chinese Canadians the right to vote. Um, you know, obviously, after they came back from World War II, obviously, some of them served. And how can you, you know, fight for democracy and a country like that and not actually be allowed to vote, right? That makes no sense. So... Oh, so Chinese yeah. Canadians also weren't allowed to vote. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like a really big thing, but then they came back and fought for it, so they got it in the end. When did they, uh, when, when, was, when did that happen, like their right to vote, when did they get that? Oh, that was also, that was also kind of around the same time period as the Chinese Immigration Act being repealed. Um, it was 1947, and then the first election, I think, was 1949, so that was actually pretty soon after World War II. I see, and that's, that's really related to, I think this sort of, uh, all oppressed groups, like, their sort of overthrowing of, uh, the oppression, they all kind of revolve around, like, the same time period, because I know, like, Definitely. the second wave of feminism as well, uh, after the Cold War, sorry, in the 60s and 70s, uh, that was like a really big break in like the sort of um, traditional gender roles pictured in like American like pop culture and all that. 
And I know as well, especially during times such as like the Vietnam War, uh, they were inspired by like civil rights movements and like the new uh, make love, not war slogan. So I think the Cold yeah. War in particular did like a lot for human rights and uh, sort of empowering different groups. Definitely. 60s, 70s were like a really, really, I'd say, big and impactful time period for civil rights movements and just for human rights in general. Even in like the beginning of the Cold War, obviously with the voting, there's this guy, uh, what was his name? I think it was like Alex uh, Kumyao. And he was like one of the people who were like, he was obviously a Chinese Canadian and he was able to elect both before and after his um, voting rights were like stripped. So I actually found that to be really interesting. He was elected, he was electing and, you know, casting votes in 1898 which was like obviously a long time ago. And then in the beginning of the Cold War, when um, Chinese Canadians were given their rights back, he was able to vote again, like 50 years later in 1949. And that was just a really, really um, big thing. But even like the actual, you know, injustice of not having votes, it affected a lot more than just like, oh, you can't choose who is like controlling your country and all that. Like, for example, Alex, he was like studying law, right? And uh, he was like, I think, training to be a lawyer and he could like speak fluently a bunch of languages, but he couldn't actually practice law in the country just because he couldn't vote. And so it was just a really kind of um, radical issue that I found to be kind of interesting because you couldn't vote. And then all these other parts of your life were affected as well, including like your job and all of that. So I just think that that's kind of interesting and he was a really notable figure just in that symbolic kind of way was there any like notable people in your time period regarding you know feminism yeah so i was actually waiting for that uh there's this woman she, her name is sally boyd and she was born in 1947 so uh she's mentioned that when she was when she was uh, uh when she was young she didn't really realize all of the changes that society was going through when she was growing up and what incredible changes like her family went through uh, like she said in an interview that she always thought of her mom as like a pioneer in a way but to go from a rural area that wasn't even a town maybe just like a small community in Georgia to graduating from high school at 16 and then 10 years later she was married to a college faculty member and had a job of her own in the government and uh, Department of Agriculture I believe so this is like during like the early 50s and she's already in the workforce right so you can sort of see how women progressed from only being in the workforce during times of war and times of extreme need when men weren't able to fill those positions to being able to sort of voluntarily choose and enter the workforce themselves. Right, and that's like a really big step, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. Yeah, so obviously you can tell in like your thing that Canada's universal obligation was really expanding in that time for women. And honestly, sometime around... Um, the beginning of the 21st century, it also expanded a lot more for Chinese Canadians as well. Um, for example, there was like a, a huge apology in 2006 that Stephen Harper um, gave for the head tax as well as the uh, Chinese Immigration Act, as well as, you know, a bunch of awareness that was being raised um, both by the government and by actual community members, even like British Columbia own government they apologized in 2015 and like the federal government actually promised to commit like what was it 12.5 million um to educate canadians on like the actual issues that were going on in that time um yeah 
<laughs> yeah, and I think uh, during that time uh, with Chinese Canadians, there was also uh, compensation as well, right, from Ottawa for surviving had taxpayers like their families. Yeah, that was like twenty thousand dollars, and so all like surviving had tax payers were able to get compensation, and then their spouses as well. But there's actually a really big、um, deal with that because those who、um, had passed away, I don't think they got compensation. So that was a big issue that people were kind of,、um, I guess, talking about. Yeah, and I think especially after sort of the the years following the Cold War were、uh, more. Peaceful times and times where sort of、uh, civil rights and different forms of oppression could be actually recognized, and、uh, this is when the fourth wave of feminism took place as well. Where I believe it started in two thousand twelve, after、uh, in December of two thousand twelve, after a young woman was unfortunately gang raped in India and died as a result of that, and there was international outrage over this, right?、Uh, social media coverage and. This new wave of feminism sort of focused on more like sexual harassment and、uh, that sort of issue, and I think it's interesting how a, 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 an expansion of universal obligations for a certain group may not actually be a good thing. As we look back through history, and we realize that throughout the twentieth century, a lot of the times where、uh, Canada's universal obligation expanded for a certain group, it was because they had no choice, right? So. For example, during World War One, World War Two,、uh, when women were allowed to enter the workforce, it was because they wouldn't be able to support the workforce with the men left. Right, exactly, and so actually looking at the reasons behind the expansion of the universal obligation is kind of important because sometimes it's not out of goodwill; it's just out of you know pure need. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, honestly, at the end of the day. I'm grateful, and I think everybody is that you know society is getting better today, and that all these movements are happening, and that they have happened.、Um, like even with you know COVID nineteen and all that, there's some Asian discrimination, but at the end of the day, it's a lot more able. We're able to raise more awareness about it.、Um, also with like anti women things, if anything happens, it's talked about, and we're able to put a stop to it as. Quickly as possible, so I think that's a really good thing for you know current society and current day injustices. Okay, well that's all we have for you.、Uh, hope you enjoyed our discussion, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye bye.